and welcome back to a bonus episode of There Will Be Dungeons. We do this for our supporters, and then everyone else gets it a week after that. If you're getting it a week after that, consider being a supporter, and you can get it early. For those who are getting it early, you guys are awesome. We're going to jump right in this week, or this month, rather, and have uh, Kristen lay out a few questions for us. Kristen, what do we have this week? All right, so to start things off, we've got one question for each of the player characters here. And the first one is, will Hope ever find her six shooters? Ooh. Will you? I mean, I hope so, but at the same time, as a fighter now, I get three attacks per round. So I would need so much ammo to make sure I could actually use them through an entire fight that I kind of just want to switch hope to melee now. Oh, my gosh. Would you allow that, Bo? She's got her dagger. Um, well, yeah, I, I'm the, trying to remember. <laughs> there was that pile of junk in the Nash Tower, but we never stopped by it. And I'm pretty sure the guns could have been found in there because I think that's where Smokey's belt was, too. But mm-hmm. Hope didn't know about that or ask about it. So it was just completely left unexplored. Remember where they are either. I feel like they turned up at some place. <coughs> I think they the were on Sigil, did. right? Because they were dragon metal. Oh, did they survive? Yeah, Maybe. I think they were in the sewers there. Yeah, because didn't we? I mean, that's where Nash got his dildo umbrella, and that's we, right. like we went looking for it. <laughs> yeah, and I f- I feel like maybe we found one of them, but then what happened to it? I don't know. They're gone. They're lost to. to time. <laughs> mm-hmm. John's given up. He's yeah, like, that's oh, it. They're gone. They're gone. Yeah, I don't. I, they are somewhere. But uh, that's what I was going to ask. Are you? I mean, Bo's not going to say, but you're probably aware where it is, right? I mean, it'd be a shame for them to go missing forever. But I feel like you guys have a pretty good instinct about where they might turn up. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'd. Uh, I like to see Hope get her stuff back. I'm not so worried about the dildo or whatever else. No, I have the dildo. Maybe with a a new item is in the horizon. That'd be pretty fun. Ooh. Well, we'll have to wait and find out. Yep. This next one is for Nash. (laughs) (laughs) Will multi-Nash help Nash remember his or their past? Multi-Nash. Well, all the Nashes that you're you got you asked Zolfenshall to help you. Oh, right. and Jal to help you uh, conjure up back at Planet Nash. Right. Aren't we still... I don't remember how we left that because we were asking for a bunch of Nash help. Yeah, he, he said his abilities were on cooldown, so he needed a bit of time, and you guys decided when you return, you'll pick up the Nashes okay. rather than haul them across the galaxy with you. Okay, that makes Just because they might be like... Might be a little chaotic. There's some concern. (laughs) Some concern was expressed, and it was decided that well, maybe we'll we'll wait till we get back. Yeah, that makes sense. I have a feeling they'll they'll you know they'll want to help. Why wouldn't they? They're Nashes. Nashes generally, you know, they're a little stupid and weird sometimes, but they all want to they all want to fix this problem. Especially if ours is the prime timeline, like everyone seems to be indicating, like we're the ones that are going to finally get this done then why wouldn't they all want to not have all their work go in vain? They can continue, you know, they can help shore up the effort to make sure we succeed. So if I was to bet, uh, I would say Nash's are all in. The collective of Nash's on the macro are all in. 
Nice. Yep. May our may our may. Will they help you discover your past? Well, God rest our you souls. Think they'll, do they think they'll be helpful in that um, way? Yeah. Would Nash even want to know about his past, or he knows his own past, so he doesn't care? Um, that's a great question. He doesn't care so much, but they've all either failed or right, Bo. They've all either failed at their job or they're not there yet. Yeah, there seems to be an ongoing time conundrum. Right. So because so, yes. of that, it just seems to me like they would be like, well, if this is our way to get the job done, let's just do it. And let's work with this Nash and get it done. You know, whatever their yeah. misgivings might be about the situation. I, I mean, it's one of those weird things where it's like, do I know or does Scott know? Because it's his character. Yeah, I don't so actually it's know. It's sort of up to you to, you know, when we get to that situation, we'll have to... You know, We'll, yeah. f- we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> it's going to be weird, probably. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I have faith. I have faith the Nashes will want to do what's best. And in this case, helping us would be best. So it's purely speculation until we get there. But I think they'll probably want to help. Awesome. Uh, next one is for Stanley. And it is a, initially worded, would Stanley become more optimistic now that he's a leader? But is Stanley more optimistic now that he's a leader now that a few episodes have gone by? Um, it's an interesting idea. Like I would think Stanley would actually become less optimistic as a leader. Cause like the reason he's sad all the time is he takes everything very personally and everything very seriously and failure very hard. Um, and so the weight of leadership would not, temper that it would actually make it worse um but i do think that this recent stint of not having any wisdom like kind of lends credence to what varel always put him in check with right because varel always said you know hey you you worry too much you got to just get out there and do it like you know this is this is how you should lead and stanley always discounted it because he always thought well i'm of course, that's what Varel says, but I'm smart and I'm not going to do it that way. So he he looked down on the idea, but now he's done it and it's been successful. And I think that that adds more credence to Varel's argument. And I think maybe that's a bit more eye opening to Stanley that like, you know, maybe maybe there is a lesson to be learned there. And I kind of feel like with leadership, you go through this, you know, go through this initial thing of like, Oh, I'm going to be the best and I'm going to take care of everybody. And you know, I'm going to be a great leader for my people. And I think there's an inevitable realization that you can't save and protect everyone. And that sometimes leadership comes with not making easy decisions. And it's what you do with that acceptance that actually determines if you're going to be a good leader or not. And I don't think Stanley's there yet, but I think like, the wisdom thing is step one on kind of figuring out where he's going to be. Um, but I, I think having wins is what will ultimately make Stanley more optimistic. He, he definitely feels like he loses a lot. I think that's where sadly Billings comes from. Sadly oh. Billings. <laughs> <laughs> has someone really actually, funny. has anybody actually called you that outside? Of no, the, just me. Just you. That's <laughs> just what I refer to him as whenever he's sad. I love that. Yeah, it's adorable. Great. Yeah, no way. Uh, next one is for Varel. Here is the union of tribes in the future. 
Uh, they talking about the lizard folk because I think we put them all on one ship. So in desperation, they're I pretty think much. So unionized. I would assume so because it's got Hope Nash, Stanley. I would assume this is for Varel. It could also be for Bok Bok, who was off to oh, unite yeah. the tribes of goblins. Hmm. Well, Which, then in that case, possibly, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's an NPC hands now. Yep. yep. You'll have to figure, you'll have to see what happens with that. I don't want to give it all away. How long hopefully. has it been since we've seen Bok Bok? It's been a while, right? Two days. Yeah, oh, is that all? <laughs> Never mind. He's still midway through your own task, so you know who knows how long you're going to be. Yeah. Hopefully not long. Time in D and D is weird. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Time can pass. Yeah. Oddly. Yeah. Uh, the next one is for Bo and Kyle. As DMs, when you set up a puzzle, trap, or encounter for the players, do you think of a way out of it during planning, or do you just think of interesting scenarios and see what the players come up with without knowing yourself if it's solvable? Hmm. I actually well, have had I that question before. That's a great question. I think you do a bit of both. I think the, I think it's a hybrid of both, in my opinion, because if you come up... There's this kind of problem with puzzles where basically it's kind of like a DPS check in in RL rather than an RP in the sense that, you know, you're like playing these fantasy characters, but then you put this puzzle and then you're asking people to be like, solve this puzzle. And it's not really about the characters and it's about, you know, are the players good at Sudoku or whatever? So, you know, if they have that, then they'll be like, I know this and they can just solve it. And if the players don't, then it's like, they're like, well, I just don't know. I'm not good at these kinds of puzzles, so I guess we're not going to solve it. So it's like you kind of got to leave out, I feel. Like you can do a puzzle and be like, you know, here's a – often in video games they have those rotation puzzles where you got to rotate statues and the right thing and then you can get through or something like that. It's like I think you do leave opportunity for weird things to happen. So if they decide to smash all the puzzles – because they got a barbarian who puzzle make me head hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you leave yourself an out where that might trigger an outcome or a negative thing, right? Like you want to kind of want to have a interactive world. So sometimes you can anticipate those things and build them into your puzzle. Like what's what's the what are some alternative workarounds? I mean, sometimes if you hear a good idea, uh, maybe you're you're coming up with the solution on the fly that lets them move forward. So it's kind of this at least my approach is a mash of all of it, I think. Right. Like um, an example would be like that last bank door. There was a, a way to solve the the code, right. Which would be to, to maybe do some skill checks uh, along the lines of, of sleight of hand or of investigation or perception, depending on if someone wanted to try and figure out what the code was or, you know, um, how did they end up? How did you guys end up solving it? You guys basically someone teleported through, right? Like Stanley, you teleported through and opened the door from the other side. I yeah. think that's what happened. Uh, so, yeah, something. not the intended solve for a puzzle like a locked door with a combination lock on it, but perfectly, you know, acceptable. Especially with magic that can circumvent all kinds of rules, uh, they can undermine your puzzles quite effectively in some cases. Especially if you didn't. I didn't really think about the teleportation when I. When I came up with that quote puzzle, it was just like, what would a bank have for 
normal non-magic people to keep them out and then you know magic people are like circumvent the laws of reality so people don't account for these kinds of things depending on the security level of, of the building so does that kind of give an idea you gotta kind of think about all of it i guess you know don't would, get too clever with the puzzle side of things and uh yeah what would you I say kyle? kyle answer too a bit yeah, yeah he's got an opinion yeah no, i mean that's a good way to put it because and certainly at our level being level 13 it's a power fantasy to just trump a puzzle and just completely bulldoze it with magic and yeah you get like a spell per day out of it so the dm wins a little bit you know depending on their balance and upcoming encounters but you you have to take it out of video game logic so video games like old scooby-doo episodes you can see the book in the shelf on the wall that they're going to touch in scooby-doo yeah because that book's going to move yeah and video games are the same way you walk in a room and options come up so puzzles are always presenting the answers to you in those interactive mediums but in D, the puzzle is infinitely harder because anything is possible so there was a puzzle i did in the I was the episode where Ben guested. We did the double dungeons, the two hallways, and you had to describe symbols back and forth to each other. Oh, yeah. I remember that. That worked in character because it is an extremely simple puzzle of description in character to each other. But as Bo kind of brought up, the, the logic side of puzzles, riddles, you have to be really careful with because those are asking the player to be in charge of their own brain and maybe smarter than their own character is. And some people are just amazing at puzzles. Like I've, I've done Sudoku as like a doorway puzzle and I've had groups that are just stumped and no one plays Sudoku. And then you've got the one guy who goes on, you know, trips every week on the plane whiz at Sudoku, just plows through your dungeon. Yeah. And he's playing the barbarians. Like how does right. the barbarian know? And so it's, it's driving him insane too. Cause he's role-playing really well. You're like giving out inspiration, trying to reward the, the poor player who is holding back and not solving all the puzzles. So I think those more of uh, physics based puzzles or like that imagery puzzle in the double dungeon was a description based puzzle allows people to stay in character. And then you so, could also use the skill checks to, you know, if the player isn't good at Sudoku, but the character, they're, they're playing a smart little wizard, you, you give them the spell check, like you give them the, you give them a skill check or some sort of in-game rule option that gives them the solution to, or gives them a hint towards the solution. It's amazing when you look at video games in a D&D sphere. I mean, we all kind of do this with invisible walls in video games, but like Half-Life, like if if Gordon Freeman could just scramble a little bit, I wouldn't have to go find three barrels to make this, this lever lift. Right. <laughs> so like, even those are off the table, mm-hmm. but the fact that it, that it didn't have to be barrels here in D and D, it could be anything means very, very, very simple traps and puzzles can take an hour. Yeah. And then you want to get your ego out of it. Because then if you spend eight hours on your puzzle and the players are like totally like, what's this stupid puzzle? Oh, my God. And you're like, eight hours? you know, you want to like <laughs> just make sure you don't over invest emotionally in your what you come up with either. Because players will react in unpredictable ways and and they may not like it or whatever. And that's totally acceptable. But if you, you got to depersonalize it, because if you spend a long time on something fancy and they just, you know, it just doesn't resonate and they, they may be extreme, you might get protective of your creation and you want to watch out for that too. So 
um, you know, keep them straightforward. I think. Let me ask you this question, Bo. When, when we're as high level as we are and you have a puzzle you need solved or you got a dangerous place and you know that, for example, I'll just use me because I don't want to assume anyone else, but if, if, if you present something weird, there's a decent chance Nash wants to go smell it or lick it or touch it. Um, have you ever been in a... St- Every time I do that, I go, oh, I hope Bo didn't make this thing to be like the ultimate death trap. And I'm just going to, this is the end of Nash. Goodbye, everybody. We're done with him forever. Um, have you ever had to like shift gears and decide that it was a little less lethal because Nash wanted to lick something or smell something or whatever? I mean, I'm, I guess I'm not super big on puzzles. So just for that reason, you know, in the game, like I, I feel like the puzzle is more the exploration puzzle, like figuring out what to do next, figuring mm-hmm. out how to resolve this situation like that, you know, that it, it's not a traditional puzzle, but we just ended on, there's like this hole that goes to nowhere and you guys solve the puzzle by sending one of your own in to take, to see what happens, right? Like yeah. it's a puzzle. There's an unknown thing beyond the gateway. There's a, you know, there's a number of ways of approaching it, right? Like you could dip your hand in, like there's all kinds, like that in itself is a puzzle and can be rewarding if the players figure out a way to safely navigate into the next room. So like, it's also keeping in mind that like the nature of D and D can, can be just that, right? Like, I think if you get to these fancy puzzle rooms or word riddles or things like that, um, I'm just not, I think I'm not super big on those. So I don't know that I do them very often. Mm. Uh, you want just enough to make to make the adventure feel like an adventure. Like if there was a wizard in a tower and with a locked room that was overly elaborate, you want to put something ridiculous in there, but you know, I'm, I'm not trying to stump anybody with it, I guess is the, is I'm not sure if that answers your question, but well, I, no, it kind of, it does actually. I mean, I guess what you're, what I'm asking is if I, let's say you made a death portal and the, and the idea is that anything that went in there, even the smallest bug or the biggest troll walked through that death portal they'd be immediately fried. That was your plan. Mm-hmm. And we walked into that room and Nash goes, Oh, check it out. And puts his hand in it. Uh, would you, would you be, would you feel like you had to adhere to your pre-planned rule that this thing is instant death upon contact? Or would you have to on the fly go, all right, well, fine. We'll just have Nash lose a finger. So the, the philosophy is this, anything that has very dire consequences, I'm doing foreshadowing, you know, applying cinematic rules to do foreshadowing. So maybe a mosquito flies into it and dies instantly or explodes. Oh. I try to at least drop a hint so that if someone does something stupid, they go, I can point and say like, well, you know, that mosquito flew in and died and then you went and walked in and now you're dead. So oops, like oops yeah. to you. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't feel bad if I can foreshadow something with a dire consequence. Like I'm really not trying to blindside players unless, I mean, if I had a group of players sit down and be like, you know what? I just, we just want you to, to, to ravage us with difficulty. (laughs) Then I'd be like, okay, then here we go. But like that's down to the player contract and knowing your players. Generally speaking, I've never really played it with anyone like that. Most people want to have a good time. So just like, I mean, with some small exceptions, like when I died to a fan in disco Elysium, or trying to turn a fan off, I got a heart attack or something like that. <laughs> like with some small exceptions is generally not what people are looking for, but they want to feel like they're dealing in danger. So I think if anything has big consequences, I'm doing probably doing foreshadowing or I'm dropping some hint 
or, or something just to get everyone thinking so that, you know, I'll feel, I'd feel guilty, you know, just turfing somebody's character instantaneously. So I want to sleep well at night too. Um, so I'll, I'll do that. Okay. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. At least tr- apply the foreshadowing and not try to do it. I mean, the better you're doing it, the less obvious you're being about it, hopefully. And it's just transparent. Like just someone picks up on the detail and doesn't even remember why they're thinking that way but you know it's it's sort of in there so okay yeah is that the same for you kyle by the way just curious when you that sort of thing is that like uh oh yeah i don't want to i can't just kill this character so i gotta backtrack what i was thinking the sort of thing fascinates me i don't know why but uh the so for me it's about no wasted damage if there's going to be damage in a trap that means that there's a combat later that I'm trying to drain resources for. Otherwise, we're just wasting time. Mm. So one one thing I, I talk a lot about on you know the learning shows I do, like DM gives inspiration and stuff of that nature, is slides, not spikes. So the idea that when a pit opens, you actually are embedded deeper in the dungeon and you slide down, taking no damage, but it propels people along the story. Whereas if you just fall in a pit, not only is the person who's more likely to fall in that pit the wizard, so they're going to have the most trouble getting out of the pit, and it's a whole big deal. Everyone doesn't have to put down the ropes and we have to bring them out. Uh, it's just a pause to all the action. Gotcha. So it's way more exciting to have that actually be a slide that takes someone deeper, or somehow the puzzle is a propelling force, or it's an opportunity for role play, which is also keeping that ball rolling. Right. Interesting. But the, the direct answer is, yeah, there is a type of game like that. It's called Tomb of Horror, or it's it's these Tomb of Annihilation kind of things where everyone shows up and they have like three characters and they're going to Dark Souls, for lack of a better phrase, this dungeon. We're going to run at it and we're going to go three rooms, dead, awesome, next character, five rooms, whoa, awesome, next character, okay, we got to the final boss. Oh, interesting. They're almost like lives then. Like three exactly. lives. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose there's a style, there, there's a place for that. Yeah, and I guess um, all the players in the DM agreeing that that's going to be the style, right? Because everyone wants to play a game, but we all want to agree that the rules are what we all consider fair. Yeah, I mean, in high school or junior high when I played way back, uh, there might be a kid no one liked, and so they'd figure out a way to kill his character, but that's because we were immature buttholes. <laughs> You know, it's called bullying. Yeah, we were. <laughs> we were. We were Come just play D D with us. Yeah. Oh, your character's dead. Oopsies. We were a bunch of you know. How many heads. hours you spent coming up with it? Exactly. So go get us cokes because you're dead. You know that kind well, of attitude. Yeah. There's a, there's actually a, a there's meta gaming too. Like once you start not killing people, then the players start assuming they're not going to die. Mm-hmm. So you have to combat that at the same time. So one puzzle I like to do in one shots is there's this there's a small room full of acid like pouring down and someone walks into it and their character ah skeleton you know skeleton falls to the ground they melt it's actually a teleporter and the skeleton melting part in his illusion mm. oh so one by one you know now that person in the other room they can start making their way back and maybe even reveal they're okay i opened the door everybody but the people left in the room have to decide is this a teleporter, you know, where did that person go or are they dead? And you can't do that trap later on once they kind of metagame you. Right. That's interesting. It's like the, uh, it's a little bit of a Lich King thing. Everyone's dead. Not really. 
but you felt like you were, you know, like you felt like that stuff was real and the danger was bad. Like when Bo had to bring us back from, well, when I was just a heart, a floating heart, that was intense. I didn't know how we were going to ever be whole again. Like that felt like real consequences. No, you all, you all probably should have died there. Yeah. Like, like the way that I had originally envisioned that area, like it was was putting, I was, I wasn't quite sure where it was leading, but I was putting somebody in a position to sacrifice themselves to the rest of the party. And you guys surprised me by just all committing uh, seppuku, basically. just like, let's all, let's all die. Yeah. We're going to die all day. You know, and I like, I had ideas what I might do with something, but I just wanted to put somebody, I wanted to to have somebody to have that heroic moment of, I'll be the one to sacrifice. You know, there's a, a cinematicness to it. And, um, you know, that's how I concocted this magic device that somebody would have to offer their life energy to seal the the gateway and um, and to see where that took us. So I, I wasn't sure what to do with it. Like I wasn't we could have just ended there. But. But I was reading Planescape at the time, so I was like, I got an idea. And I, we just went that direction, yeah. Um, which took us in a very circuitous or cir- 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 whatever circumlocute it took us in a very roundabout way to some other direction that was very pleasant and fun and hilarious but um wasn't planned before the event right like i was just like i guess they're all dead but we'll i think i remember saying like we'll see what happens and i was like i don't know what i'm doing yeah um these situations come up way more i i remember that one too and that's me metagaming i basically metagamed bo schwartz there by saying he wouldn't kill the whole party right everybody in and that's (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> like if i would if it, if i was like uh nope uh, you have to obey what you originally planned then yes everyone would be dead that's i, I was it was it was going to kill somebody but um, i think something you might be curious about Scott, is like when that moment happens mm-hmm. and that happens when you as a player disrespect the strategy of the situation mm-hmm. and for the most player kills that's where i've always heard it, it happened in critical role it's happened in my own games it's when like uh, uh, usually it's a, a sorcerer of some kind warlock they fly up above a whole range of archers and isolate themselves or they run at the boss solo or whatever they they tactically don't respect the big bad or the situation they're in and a puzzle you can be like let me tone down the damage let me tone down this but when they jump out solo in front of 20 archers that's when you're kind of like as dm well crap yeah i have to fire Uh, there is these are npcs have their own lives in their own situations i have to let loose the arrows yeah that's interesting you you guys are all fairly cautious in combat i will say like almost frustrated like not in a bad way don't don't take it the bad way but like stanley especially john is frustratingly cautious cautious it's been very refreshing to see him not be cautious because, <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's very like cautious. Play, like It's OK. It's just very tough to challenge people that are, that are smart in that way. You know, so uh, that, that's a great. It's just Kyle. You've been thinking that, you know, it's like some people when they play, they fantasize just being super powered. So they run into I mean, I did it when I was pretending to be an actor in my game. I, I, I was so eager to, to act. And I knew it wasn't long for this world because I could tell the DM was already getting uh, impatient with me. Um, I gutted a wolf and put on the wolf costume and was acting. I was like, I'm going to scout ahead acting as a wolf with a gutted out wolf costume. And but the barbarian was like running ahead of me to go fight things. And I'm like, no, I'm going to act our way through this. 
and and it's like um i think the thing is is like we we you know got clobbered because of how stupid we were behaving right like and that's sort of the point is you guys are all very like let's think about this <laughs> let's be careful yeah i don't want to let's let's hold back and we don't really have a um a drax i guess in the group right who's just like yeah you guys are taking too long i'm running through the door um, i mean varel is sort of our drax but not in a it's not yeah, reckless. He, it's not he has wisdom. Reckless. Like, the, like yeah. Varel is like that. He's a barbarian, but he's a very wise barbarian. I would like. He's not. He's, you know, like you, like Stanley was was very refreshing the other day. It was just, he was just like, yeah, I just teleport through it. I, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> a Whatever. He doesn't have the wisdom to know he should save his spells in case things get bad. He's just like, oh, I have a way through this gate. Use a spell. Yeah. Oh, I took nine points of damage. Use a spell. Oh, I feel a little weird. Use a spell. Like, just get rid of all that, uh, all that caution. It was a fun way to play too. Like, that's the other thing is that that was a super fun way to play that character. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I don't, I don't know if I'd want to do it all the time, but it was a different change that I really enjoyed. That's the counterintuitive thing about D and D. You're like, I'm trying to win, and trying to win means surviving and doing combat correctly. But at the same time, you're like. I'm also trying to have fun. And yeah, I mean, that's why Diantalis being... was the most fun I've had in the campaign right. because you, it, I didn't care and I didn't have to care anymore. And all of a yeah. sudden it's just like, ah, go crazy. Who cares? And, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you grow attached to your characters. You don't want to lose them, but, eh, you know, you can always roll another character, you know? And so we're, we're also MMO gamers and MMO gamers are the worst for D&D combat because they never pull aggro like we all understand you throw open the door <laughs> ping 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 20 people all go on oh, attack you know the wizard who opened the door you play with people who play first person shooters you know play animal crossing they're gonna make tons of tactical mistakes oh yeah yeah that's actually a really good point i think mmo gamers come to D, especially if that's where they're starting or you know they've never played D before but they started playing mmos as as kind of their rpg experience I think that totally colors how you even see an encounter. Like, that's a good point. Yeah, you know? yeah, because you you have like the assigned roles. You just have muscle memory about it. the tank draws aggro, the wizard, you know, the blasters blast from the back. Yeah, and the rogues stay un- unseen. Like, there's definitely tactics wise, like the tactics are not that different in D anD D in terms of the class role assignment. So that's that's well, perfect. and there's that social contract on top of it because I've played with people who only play like XCOM. And they're not good D and D gamers because they just in their mind they're just like just reload just no 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 I take it back I take it back. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas you know and you pull wrong in Serpent Shrine Caverns you're dead yeah. and everyone everyone has to go walk all the way back. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interest. That's an interesting comparison. Well, that was a good. We, I, we got a lot out yeah, of that it's a question. Good discussion and I, like <laughs> yeah. I'm more like is it just when I DM I'm I'm because there's a tactical battle where we could do a series of you know, balanced matches, you know, there's eight goblins to your four party members and you're going to do, you know, three or four encounters. I just like throwing the whole dungeon at you and what, you know, this is like, uh, you know, I like the big monstrous epic battles that are, um, sure. And you'll adjust as needed fun. so that we're not, you know, dying in the first 10 minutes, but you know, that's what, yeah. It, well, I give consideration to the fact that like, you know, you're playing heroes and it is possible for you to die and get injured. But at the same time, I don't know. I just thought uh, sometimes the most epic battles can be the the small ones, right? Like my, one of my group's first battles against six wolves almost destroyed them, and it's the battle that's most talked about. Um, 
but you know as you get powers like certain things become trivial so and i find like the um how many encounters can you get done in a day kind of thing like it's hard like again as mmo players you're saving your ultimates for like you know instinctively to save your spell like your your bloodlust for when it's needed <laughs> you're not using you know what i mean like yeah, yeah. it's just kind of hard and like your spell slots are kind of like that right you're just like uh, is it time to bloodlust i don't think so so we're not going to use it yeah i don't let's like dra- i always worry about that with the dragon thing i hold on to it way too long and i'm like well i don't want to be standing there in dragon form and not have lifted a finger and that has happened a couple of times where i pop dragon and then it was like well didn't need that but i also get way too conservative with it yeah, I just I don't know how else they balance the game without putting a limitation like that. But it would be nice if there was a different solution. Yeah, where like I think 4E sort of had it where they had their, um, they had uh, at wheels, but they had once per encounter. So rather than rather than abilities requiring a long rest, you could use it just use it one time in a, in every battle, mm. and that was it. Mm. And then you had your dailies, but the dailies would be like sort of you know, bigger epic things on the order of wish or, or you know, world changing or, or very dramatically impacting things. But um, they saved a pretty good tier of, of spells for the per encounter. So you never felt like, well, if I use a spell slot, it's gone. But I think a lot of people, there was a lot of desire when 5e was being made for, you know, classic D and D and classic D and D spell casting had the, the slots, but I I actually think there are some really good ideas in 4e a lot that didn't carry over into 5e. That's kind of a shame. Mm. So, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because the once per encounter meant meant that maybe if you you do have a spell that you'd hold on to, you weren't worried about not having it the next battle. But there was also like only combat encounters. So like I remember having a whole group sitting around trying to light the night's fire at the campsite. And they're like, you're constantly throwing fireballs. I'm like, I know, but I'm not in combat. And the team's like, well, I can make fire. Well, no, I'm not in combat. So they like wanted to go piss off a squirrel so they could be in combat just to light the fire. Yeah, yeah. No, there were good ideas in 4E, but not the. I'm not saying 4E was the best system for sure. Like, there's definitely that weirdness where I can't use this because I'm not in combat. You're absolutely right. Like, that's weird. But we just house ruled it, and it was fine. I, there, there are things, yeah. The balance is really nice. I mean, too. a combination of both would be good. Like you, you could use it out of combat so many times a day. I don't know. We're not, gonna, we're not going to redesign four E here, I guess. But um, you know, there were there were just good aspects of it. I feel, and I think the spell slot thing is very much a like, like I've noticed in your guys's play. Like, uh, well, you know, I don't want to use it. Then you're like, well, six weeks goes by, and we you haven't used your cool spell that you like because because it makes sense to hold on to it. But it's, you know, it just feels bad. And you're like, I'm a whiz. Like, you know, that's why Bardic Inspiration, I totally forgot about it. And I'm like, how? And that's not even that big of a deal. And I'm like, it barely gets used, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, That's a bit of a shame. Yeah. We lose. I think we answered the shit out of that question. (laughs) Yeah. Did we still have time for one more? Yeah, we can do one more. All right, cool. Uh, I'm sorry if this has been answered before, but after listening to the White Tower episodes, which have been my absolute favorite so far, I'm finding myself wanting to learn more about Euphemius. A quick Google search didn't turn up much. Was he homebrewed for the campaign, or do I just need to get good at using a search engine? Oh, thanks so much for all the work that (laughs) goes into it. Also, Walnut Rocks. Uh, first of all, thank you for saying you like the white tower. I get like, just, I don't know about you guys, but like, I get self-conscious that like certain arcs suck and stuff. And like, there's been conversations in discord where like, I liked it in the waste. I don't like it in Planescape and blah, blah, blah. And that's cool. But I liked just, the know. white tower a lot. Yeah. For what it's yeah. I thought I just, that was, I thought that was a strong arc. 
Yeah. I just appreciate when people like they drop by on my stream too. And they'll be like, I love this episode. It, it always makes me feel good. So I just want to say thank you for including that. Um, Euphemius Zorander, though, stop searching. He Euphemius Zorander was actually an original name of one of my PCs in sort of my play with other friends. <laughs> so nice. do not Google him. He, he's not real thing. So I sort of included one of my, that's actually Euphemius Zorander. The great Euphemius Zorander is the actor. Um, Although I don't think that is necessarily the same character as this. Um, there wouldn't be any more backstory to that. But um, I don't think this reveals too much. I think the relationship you would have learned between uh, the voice and the fist, because the hand, like Zorander's fist was where the hand was in. So one can imagine that what uh, Hope is going through is what Euphemius Zorander, Zorander went through as he bore the fist over top of the hand. Um, yeah. And it's too bad that I, there's the, 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 uh, the rules text for Zorander's fist was like a mile long. <laughs> so if anyone actually, I was hoping Kyle would wield it, uh, as a fist weapon, but no, uh, that never happened. Didn't so. happen. <laughs> that's a, that's a good example of like probably four to eight hours spent on rules text for an item that just got uh, given uh, here. I don't want this. <laughs> sure. Well, that's, that's great. I love when yeah. people think you made uh, or they think you've got something that's like some official thing, but really you made it up. And I think that's awesome. That's yeah, really it was cool. really complex. It was like there's different kinds of punches. You could do like crazy uppercut and do like a big ground slam. Like I really I really went to town picturing like all kinds of fun fist things oh, that's awesome. on it. Yeah, it was big. But um, but well, it's gone now, I guess. Now it's gone. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, hopefully that answers all of, the, of your questions. We'll get to more of these next month for our bonus uh, monthly show and another additional huge thanks to everybody who supports us on the site uh, tell your friends and head on over there there will be dungeons.com we'll be back next month with more we'll see you then yeah and I Yay. love